Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have a conversation with Phil Goodwin, Research Vice President of Infrastructure Software Platforms at IDC. And Phil is responsible for IDC's infrastructure software research area and provides detailed insights and analysis on evolving infrastructure software trends, vendor performance, and the impact on new technology adoption. And in this episode, we discuss the differences between disaster recovery and cyber recovery, why data protection and data security are merging, and how do-it-yourself efforts are insufficient and unable to keep your data fully secure. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Phil. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Demetrius? I am fantastic and also amazing now that I have a a brief moment to catch up with you on Data Protection Gumbo. So how have you been, my friend? I I have actually had a pretty good summer, been pretty busy, a lot of interesting stuff going on in the the industry. So, I mean, it's, it's fun to to see what that evolution is. And I think we're coming up onto some really interesting stuff uh, this fall and and into next year, really. Okay. And why don't you give the Gumbo listeners a brief intro of yourself quickly? Yeah, certainly. I am a research vice president at IDC. I'm responsible for the research that we do for infrastructure software platforms, but my particular area of expertise is in data protection, which really is all things, uh, which includes uh, both disaster recovery, cyber recovery, backup as a service, traditional backup, and even tape these days. And uh, I am almost afraid to admit it, Demetrius, but I actually crossed 40 years in the industry this year. Oh, man, you you are one of those prehistoric uh, data protection dinosaurs, then. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) You nailed it. Yeah, I am getting close myself, so I am 22, 23 years, somewhere around there, but uh, I'm sure you, you you have me beat in that category. I got you beat on that one. All right, so ho- hopefully you can you can bring the, the wisdom and the knowledge and be considered as a data protection elder by the end of this episode. We'll give it a shot. All right, so t- tell us a little bit about cyber recovery, because... Uh, I am also seeing that it's something that seems to be gaining steam. And also, I have seen disaster recovery and also cyber recovery uh, kind of in the same bucket. But maybe start off by just giving us some background on the current state of, let's say, cyber protection and recovery. And also, feel. Why do you say that current recovery efforts are insufficient? I've heard you say that before. So why don't you explain that and also give us a rundown of the current state of cyber protection and recovery? Yeah, sure, Demetrius. And and I'll tell you, there, the the developments we've had over the over the past year or two, really through the pandemic and things like that, have been moving pretty fast. And it's not going to be breaking news to anybody 
uh, here today that cyber attacks have really become a part of the business landscape. There isn't an organization out there that isn't concerned about it, uh, that isn't trying to deal with it. And in fact, our research shows that nearly half of organizations have been attacked by ransomware in the last three years. So in many ways, I don't think it's a question of if or when, but it's really come up to a point where it's a, a matter of how often and how badly organizations are getting attacked. So when, we, when we've done research, we found that a lot of organizations believe they're prepared and that they have put systems in place, uh, processes in place, and things like that, most of which are really oriented around disaster recovery. And that the, the belief is that if they have robust disaster recovery, that they're going to be prepared for, uh, prepared for cyber recovery. But in many cases, we're finding that the results people are getting from those efforts are really very poor. And what I mean by that is less than a third of organizations are able to fully recover without paying a ransom, and nearly half of organizations pay the ransom. Now, the other that, that group in the middle tends to be companies that have decided that they can't recover without paying the ransom, but they're not going to pay it anyway. Maybe the data is not that valuable, or, or maybe it's a matter of principle or whatever, but uh, those are kind of the, the three buckets that, that people fall into. So, you know, less than a third of the people being able to fully recover is not exactly stellar. And you have to kind of ask yourself why that is. If people are prepared and they believe that they have the people in the processes and the tools and the systems in place, why is it that they can't recover? We believe a lot of that, Demetrius, is because organizations are trying to use disaster recovery in a cyber recovery scenario, and that, that those cyber recovery tools simply are not in place in order to be able to meet those needs. So things like uh, malware or ransomware detection software, forensic software, um, fenced off sanitary sandboxes, uh, and having pre-provisioned recovery areas simply aren't in place. And so what en ends up happening is these organizations have to scramble at the last minute after they've been attacked when they're trying to recover in order to get those things put into place. Yeah, all of that is very insightful. And I remember since I am, I guess, approaching my dinosaur days of data protection, uh, trying, to, trying to reach that elder status such as yourself, that when I was a backup administrator, you know, backup was backup. So we were dealing with you know, copying systems and data and files, you know, over to tape and taking that tape off site and making sure that we can recover. And disaster recovery was primarily making sure that you had another environment that was identical to your, uh, your on-site environment and literally having matching hardware and you're replicating data from one to the other. Um, but what you're saying is that disaster recovery and just trying to do the resilience part may not be enough because if you go into surgery as a brain surgeon and you bring a kind of a, a meat cleaver, you might not be able to recover or do exactly what you wanted to do uh, with the brain. So you have to have the right tools in order to kind of capture what you need there. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so kind of if you start to take a look at what are, are what are those differences between disaster recovery and cyber recovery, you know, when you're at 
a, a disaster recovery level is some of the high level processes you go. First of all, of course, you declare a disaster, you provision the recovery environment. As you said, it's usually a, a complete replica of what you have in place, although uh, DR as a service has, has improved that a lot. But you know what your restore point is. Uh, you know what your last recovery point is. And so you go ahead and you restart the services, the, the compute services, the, the storage, the networks, and that kind of thing. You initiate your application failover. You do integrity checks. Uh, you validate the recovery. You resume operations, and, and then you fail back when appropriate. Yeah. But if you look at the difference with a cyber recovery attack, in that case, first of all, you detect the attacks. You know something happened. Mm-hmm. Whether you know you get that blue screen of or you know what whatever from the bad guys. But then you have to start to try to physically isolate the attack and then conduct forensic analysis. You know, what was the nature of the attack? When did it begin? What systems have been affected? And then you start to go into some some kind of uh, forensic mode to to determine exactly what ex- what you need to recover. And you, you start to establish that isolated sandbox. You restore data there. You scan the data. And I, and I can tell you, Demetrius, we find that in nearly three quarters of cases, organizations get reinfected after their recovery. So th- this is again not like a DR when you're you're done with it. When when you finish, you have to make sure that it's not in there. So then you recover, you provision the recovery environment, and this in this case it may require bare metal. Uh, again, unlike what you were talking about with the the DR scenario, cyber recovery can can require bare metal. So then you push the recovery into the environment, you test it, you go into production, you validate the recovery and resume operations. So, so there's a, some very big differences in the way you approach DR versus the way you approach cyber recovery. Okay. And taking it back, since we are talking prehistoric times here, <laughs> you, so you have to break down that, that word bare metal. I know what it means, but hoping our audience knows exactly what that means. And to me, it means kind of the bare bones, being able to recover from the lowest common denominator of a system. So that means laying down all of the the hardware, laying down each piece of software, making sure operating systems are going. It's kind of a, a hefty task in order to kind of do a bare metal recovery, if I am still remembering correctly, Phil. That's right. And what happens in some of these cyber attacks is they are so pervasive and so impactful that you literally wind up replacing your hardware in order to get rid of that, uh, in in order to get rid of that malware. You reestablish your operating environment, you reinstall your applications, uh, you know, you start from the ground up. Um, in terms of, of re- rewriting and reestablishing application um, availability, and that can take days or weeks. So y- yes, it, it's it's very significant. Yeah. So in layman's layman's terms, that that could mean kind of rebuilding your your virtual environment within the public cloud, starting from scratch and kind of doing all of that over again. So uh, it may not be a a pretty sight, but you need to also have the plans in place and kind of know exactly how you're going to build that out uh, from scratch as well. So that's another part of it. But what I really want to dive into, Phil, is uh, getting back to disaster recovery and also cyber recovery. Now, can you clear up the differences? I know there are significant differences there, 
but can you really kind of explain the differences between the two? I know you talked about it quite a bit, but just making sure that we have that that line completely clear between the two. Yeah, d- disaster with disaster recovery, you know, you start with some fundamental assumptions. First of all, you assume that the data has integrity, whereas in cyber recovery, you assume it's corrupt. Uh, disaster recovery, you can have a run book. You have distinct steps that you can follow. Cyber attacks don't follow a script. So you may not be able to, to create a, a book that will do that. Disaster recoveries are definable. I mean, if, if there's a, you know, a, a hurricane or a fire in your uh, data center or whatever it might have to be, there is a distinct end to that disaster. Cyber attacks can be ongoing. They, they can be, you can be trying to recover and that attack is still taking place. Not to mention the reinfections that I talked about earlier. Uh, the other thing is that you you know what your last point of clean recovery was when it comes to a disaster, but you don't know that in a cyber recovery. Because these attacks can take days or weeks or months to fully detonate, you may have uh, file systems that were corrupted six months ago, you may have some that were corrupted three months ago, and you may have some that were corrupted three hours ago. And you don't, so you don't know what that clean point of recovery is from a single point. So you have to do what we call curated recovery, which is go through and actually determine what is the exact correct recovery point for all the different objects that you have in your environment, whether it's a file system or a database uh, or what what have you. But be, to be able to do that for each one of those elements is one of the things that takes organizations a long time to recover, as opposed to disaster recovery, where you just start pouring data out of the backup systems into, into production. All right. I, I love that insight. And just also making sure that there is a delineation between what I like to call the overarching term data protection, which to me encompasses backup, recovery, storage, you know, cloud. It's kind of all of the things that you have to do in order to protect the workloads and also the data that each of these workloads are pulling from. And data security is exactly what it sounds like, making sure that you are able to secure the data that these systems are are generating and making sure that you have things in place to keep the bad actors from getting access to that data. So can you maybe give us kind of a, a synopsis of how data protection and also data security, how they both come together to address let's say cyber threats and also um, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I really like the way you frame that Demetrius because what we find in practice is that when we talk to end user organizations, that term data protection and data security really get conflated. So to us old dogs, you know, they're very different kinds of, of tasks, but the way people look at them today is really as one combined task. They don't, they don't separate them out, and, and that creates some issues. But the way I think it's easiest to explain that and to, to try and describe that is to really fall back to the NIST framework. And I think uh, many people are, are familiar with that. Perhaps it's the NIST framework for, for cyber protection. And it has five pillars, which include identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. The interesting thing when you take those and you start to build out a taxonomy underneath those pillars of 
traditional data protection and traditional data security, what you find is there's a tremendous amount of overlap. The, the two disciplines address all five of those pillars, but they do it in very different ways. So for example, in, in the recover, you have security services that would be under data security, but in data protection, you have recovery orchestration, disaster recovery, cyber recovery, and so forth. And in respond, you have e-discovery and forensics for data security. And on the data protection side, you have continuous data protection and, and curated recovery. So those are just some examples, but you can see how this taxonomy builds out across all of those and that it's really important to have both sides of that coin addressed in order to be able to uh, really be fully prepared and fully mature in the effort of, of cyber protection. So it's not enough to just try and keep the bad guys out. And it's not enough to just to be able to recover if the bad guys get in. It's really a matter of how do you take data security and data protection and bring them together to create that cyber resilience that you're talking about. Wow. Now you, you make this sound super easy, just, you know, explaining it, breaking it down and doing all of that very seamless. So I, I take my hat off to you, Phil. One thing I do want to ask, though, is just having this conversation overall, you know, it's been really challenging. I've seen the ransomware numbers just go through the roof and they continue to inflate and just increase literally every day. But I'm curious to know what your insight is on, you know, bringing these concepts together. Can you maybe make it a simple and easy way to understand and, and also maybe give us maybe some, some concepts around this? Yeah, I don't know if I can make it simple or easy or not, but <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you that some of the pitfalls that we've seen with organizations in trying to make these systems or integrate these systems uh, a challenge is that data security and data protection have traditionally been two entirely different groups. You know, you talked about having been a, a, a backup admin and, and storage admin and things like that. Uh, well, there, you know, there are counterparts. There's the, the SecOps team, and then there's the IT ops and the cloud ops. And the problem is that those groups speak entirely different languages. If you went to the, the SecOps teams, for example, and asked them what RTO and RPO mean, I think there's a pretty good chance most of them wouldn't know what, what that is. And they wouldn't know what some of the key SLAs are for data protection. But on the other side of the coin, if you talk to IT ops or even cloud ops and you ask them to describe what SEIM tools are and what they do, they probably wouldn't know that either. And when you get into a conversation with them, they're talking very different languages and listening for, for very different words. So bringing those two groups together and, and, uh, and getting them to communicate is the first challenge that has to be overcome. And I think where the solution to that really starts is at the CIO and the CISO levels. Those two individuals really need to be on the same page. They need to be looking at the systems holistically. You know, again, I, I, we, we recommend the NIST framework. We think it's a good way to work, a good way to use that taxonomy. But no matter what, the communication really has to start at the top. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that I, I heard someone say that, yeah, my, my C-level may not know the ins and outs of day-to-day -day operations. However... That CIO or CISO better know exactly, 
you know, what those processes are, what tools are being used and what the overall strategic plan is in case something goes down and something happens. So they better be tapped in and plugged in on, on that particular front. And you mentioned communication. So making sure that they, they are communicating across the organization, especially at the board level. Um, that is very key because the CIO and CISO are definitely, they should have seats at the table. But I want to get your advice, Phil, on what about, I guess, where do you see all of this going and what's the future going to look like? I think what's, what's happening is that organizations are looking at the results they're getting. And, and, you know, majority of organizations at this point have been attacked at least once, many of them more than once. And they're looking at those results going, you know what, these, this really isn't doing it. And so organizations are starting to evaluate whether or not the DIY effort that they've been doing thus far is, is really the correct thing. And uh, in many cases, they're not. And, and we actually see a new market segment emerging, Demetrius, that uh, we call cyber recovery as a service. You know, we're, from, we're all familiar with backup as a service, archive as a service, and DR as a service. But we see a new category emerging of CR as a service. And in many cases, I think it's going to be built on top of DR because there are common components in there in terms of infrastructure, in terms of uh, provisioning and things like that. But I think it's going to entail a much higher layer of services, not to mention additional software. You know, I think it will include that kind of an intrusion detection, um, the, the ability to scan, to be able to to find malware, uh, to do forensic analysis on the impacts of the malware, and having the people in place who know a lot about that. So I think it's going to have a, a big services component. And that helps organizations to have those kinds of resources in place prior to actually needing them for because of an attack. And we actually forecast this market to be growing from what is essentially nothing today to 317.7 million by 2026. And that's about 149% CAGR. So, and again, you know, coming off of a base of zero, but still very rapidly growing. And we see this as an emerging market that is, uh, I, that I think is a market that whose time has come. Okay. And so this is something that C-level executives should, should definitely be aware of and to know that this is something that's coming down the pipe and well, it's not coming down the pipe, but it's already here. It's just an emerging category based upon what you are seeing. Is that correct? That's right. I've, I've talked to some major suppliers as, as well as uh, some cloud services providers who are putting these kinds of products into place and these kinds of solution offerings into place. Uh, so we are seeing evidence that it is, in fact, starting to take off. When we talk to, to users or providers, you know, and, and we introduce the concept, uh, it's almost universally accepted as people get it. You know, it just makes sense to them that something like that should be available and, and, and would be worthwhile to, to endeavor to take. Okay. And maybe one, one or two final questions here for you. Um, also, what, what suggestions do you have for organizations to move forward overall? Because you mentioned some do-it-yourself capabilities, and you also mentioned the emergence of cyber recovery as a service, which is, is a little different from DR as a service and back, backup as a service. But what, what suggestions do you have? 
I, I think what organizations need to do is really start with a frank assessment of whether or not DIY is the right thing for them. Now, in some cases it will be, you know, there's some organizations that have the, the skills, the, the manpower, uh, the intellectual property and everything else to be able to do it. But I think those organizations are really in the minority. So when organizations take a look and say, you know, we, we've had less than stellar results, uh, we, perhaps we don't really have everything that we think we need to do. I think they then need to go out and try to find providers that do have those kind of resources available. And I mean, and by resources, I don't mean just infrastructure and software. I mean, having the kinds of people who have the breadth of experience, you know, they've seen it, they've seen it numerous times. They've seen the, the different kinds of attacks, the impacts of the attacks. They've done the recoveries. They, they know what it takes, you know, having those people in place before an attack occurs, I think is going to be critical. The reality is it, it, ransomware is, is too profitable to go away. And there is no way we're ever going to be able to plug all the holes, uh, even in current systems, never mind all the new systems and software that are constantly coming out and opening up new avenues of attack for the bad guys. So it's something we just have to be prepared to deal with and have the kind of expertise in place and be as proactive as we possibly can. Awesome. And I am super curious what you are reading right now. What, what's on Phil's nightstand? Oh, that's a good question. What do I have on my, you know, I read a lot of periodicals, honestly. Really? So I, I am kind of a news junkie. Mm. Uh, so Wall Street Journal is one of my go-tos. Okay. Uh, but I also read some of the financial, some of the other financial journals. Um, I, I, and I read a, a variety of different perspectives. I just like all the different things that you can get on the web um, and give you the, the plus and minus of different things. I was going to say, I hope it's, well, no, it's it's a preference. If it's the physical paper copy or the digital version of Wall Street Journal and these other periodicals. It's all digital. You know, even even as an old dog, <laughs> I've gone all digital now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? Some, sometimes I do prefer paper so I can kind of get that. I can touch it. It's like the touch, taste, feel thing, you know? Yep. Um, you know, just being able to, and, and I like the smell of books as well. I know it's weird, but, um, it's almost like, you know, Starbucks, you know, you have the coffee smell, but then you go into a library and then you books smell a certain way. And it's, it's almost like an intellectual stimulation, but maybe I'm going too far and, here. And you don't get that smell when you pop it up on an iPad. No, you don't, unless the dog comes in and lays next to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. You, you, you not, then you're not sure what kind of smell you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, not not from my dog, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Phil, I, I do appreciate you once again stopping by and educating the listeners on cyber recovery as a service. I am looking forward to everything that will be published in the near future. And uh, if you want to maybe give a plug for anything, now is the time to do so. I tell you demetrius i really enjoy your your podcast so i just i got to give you a plug plug to you i think is is probably more important because you give such a broad range of perspectives and and ideas and topics i, I think it's a real service to the industry well awesome i i appreciate that and i hope to continue delivering servant leadership and good service to, uh, through these conversations so thank you again for being a guest on data protection gumbo field my pleasure 
Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our backup and recovery professionals LinkedIn group. Just search backup and recovery professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.